this opportunity to be a part of your Bible class tonight in this summer series. And I'm really grateful for the theme. As a matter of fact, I thought what a great idea to focus on questions related to why. And one of the things that I have noticed in study is the fact that Jesus often used questions as he talked to people during his earthly ministry. He would often ask a question to those who ask him questions. And so the question why, very good question. I do want to express appreciation to Mark and to the eldership here, uh, the great work that goes on here. Appreciate, appreciate all the good work that has gone on here. And I know that Mark has a lot of influence in our brotherhood, and I'm grateful for that. Appreciate so much the good work that goes on at PTP, and I'm thankful for the tremendous, uh, the tremendous operation of that work. I know that uh, it takes a lot of planning, a lot of foresight. Uh, logistically, there are a lot of things that are involved, and so I appreciate them. And they make it possible for about 5,000 people to come together every summer and to enjoy a great period of time studying and being enriched by spending time with one another. In our study tonight, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 20, the assigned question tonight, taken from one of the parables spoken by Jesus. And Jesus, as you well know, was the master teacher, wasn't he? He had the ability to take common, ordinary things and use those to amplify spiritual truths. And so in Matthew chapter 20, we have Jesus setting forth a parable of a landowner. And this man owned a vineyard, and vineyards were very common in the land of Judea. And so this would have been something that no doubt would have, it would have been something that they were familiar with. They understood the fact that a large vineyard would take many, many laborers. And so Jesus talked about a landowner going out and recruiting those to come and to help with regard to his vineyard. And so in verse 6, the question is asked, why have you been standing here idle all day? It's a great question. And I think about the kingdom of God and the church. Brother Wendell Winkler, who was a great preacher and teacher, many of you probably remember him. Mark had the opportunity to study under him at Faulkner. I remember Brother Winkler saying on one occasion that the church is a vineyard where people work. It's not a dormitory where people sleep. It was a great, I think that was a great statement. It's true. The church is indeed a vineyard. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a vineyard. And the Lord needs workers in his vineyard, in his kingdom, doesn't he? And the beauty of the church, and, the, and when I think about God the Father, and the fact that God established the church, and the church is composed of many members, but it's one body. And God is an equal opportunity employer, isn't he? He gives opportunities to all of us. We all have opportunities to serve in his kingdom. So what I want us to do tonight, and I've made some notations that I hope will help us in our study tonight. I want to begin by talking about the demand for industriousness in the kingdom of God. There's a demand by God for those of us who belong to the kingdom to be industrious, to be involved in his work. And I want to begin by talking for a moment or two about some examples of industry. And the first two that come to mind, I think about the Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he used certain key words that ought to tip us off with regard to the fact 
that the kingdom that he established would be one of industry. For example, you think about Jesus in the long ago. Well, in the parable that we have here, listen to what he says in verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers. The kingdom, again, is a vineyard. It's a place where people work. And so what the Lord needs is laborers today, isn't it? And you think about Jesus during his earthly ministry. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. For the night's coming when no man can work. Jesus understood that he had a limited amount of time. He had about a three, three and a half year ministry. And so that window was open for only a very short period of time. And so he had to do everything that he could to accomplish the Father's will within that time span. And then you remember in John chapter 17, in verse 4, in the shadow of the cross, Jesus said in the long ago, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus obviously underscoring the work that God the Father had placed upon his shoulders with regard to redemption. In John chapter 4, in verse 34, Jesus, during his earthly ministry, said, My food is to do the will of of him who sent me, or my, my food is to do the work of him who sent me. Jesus understanding that he had a work to accomplish, didn't he? And you remember in Philippians chapter 2, when the apostle Paul talked about how Jesus emptied himself, and he said he took the form of a servant. Jesus came to serve. And when we talk about servanthood, that, that obviously involves work or labor. And so I hear Jesus in Matthew chapter 20 saying, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for the many. And so I think about Jesus and the fact that he was industrious. He was always busy. You look at the life of Jesus and you think about, you think about some of the expressions that he used during his time here on planet Earth. The Bible talks about how on one occasion he was wearied. wonder why. Because he was always busy, wasn't he? He talked about how the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was focused on his heavenly work, his heaven-sent work. And ultimately, he accomplished that great work. And then I think about not just the Savior, but the saints. In Acts chapter 2, we read of the establishment of the church. And from that time forward, the church was a growing entity, wasn't it? And the early disciples, what were they about? Man, they were always working and busy and laboring. They were, they were always actively involved in the kingdom of God. For example, in Acts chapter 8, we read of that great persecution that swept the early church. And the Bible says that the disciples were all scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. In verse 4, the Bible says that those who were scattered abroad, you know what they did? They went everywhere preaching the word, sowing the seed of the kingdom. In verse 5, the Bible talks about Philip. Philip, as you well know, was an evangelist. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to those people. And so we have, we have great examples of saints in the first century. They were involved. They were busy. I mentioned a moment ago Jesus. He used words like work. Talked about laborers. And then what about his marching orders before he ascended to heaven? Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was interested 
in his followers, his disciples, being involved in the work of the kingdom. And you think about the kingdom today. We are, we are God's hands. We are his feet. We are his mouth. If God's work is going to be accomplished on earth, it's going to be accomplished by those of us who wear his name, isn't it? And so we can't afford to be idle in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus Christ set a great example. The saints of old, they set a great example. The Apostle Paul. Have you ever spent time tracing the missionary endeavors of the Apostle Paul? Paul was an incredible individual, wasn't he? And I think about it, here was a guy that was willing to literally lay down his life for the advancement of the cause of Christ. I noted, I noted just recently that in the missionary endeavors and travels of the Apostle Paul, that he probably covered about 10,000 miles. Now, you know, to us, 10,000 miles may not seem like a lot of mileage. But how did Paul get around? Didn't have an automobile, didn't have a jet plane, did he? And you know, I, was, I couldn't help but think the other day about, I, I had to, not long ago I had a, a gospel meeting, and it was in a place in North Georgia. And as I looked at the map, there was really no easy way to get there. And, and some of you may have traveled to places that are hard to get to. I looked at flying. Well, if, you, if I flew into to Atlanta, I still had to rent a car and then make my way northward. If I, if I cut through Tennessee, I still had to take some hard winding roads to get down to this place in North Georgia. Or I could go through Chattanooga and then down through Atlanta and then back up north. Bottom line, there was no easy way to get there. And, and I got to thinking about, man... You know, seven, eight hours in a car. And, and then I got to thinking about uh, a gospel preacher of days gone by, J.W. McGarvey, an article I'd read. Brother McGarvey, Brother McGarvey was talking about an occasion, an occasion that he had had many years ago to preach. And he said that it was wintertime, it was cold. And so when he got up that morning, it was below, it was below freezing. And I think he said ice and snow were on the ground. And so he had to travel by horseback 30 miles. And so when he gets into this little town, he said one of the brothers was out cutting wood, I think. And when the brother saw him, he said, Brother McGarvey, I didn't expect to see you here today. We didn't expect to see you here today. And he said, listen, when I make an, an appointment, I keep it. And, and what struck me, you know, I thought about it really shamed me. I thought about, you know, sometimes we complain about, you know, having to drive a great distance or do this or do that. And you look at some of the pioneer preachers of the past. You look at people like the Apostle Paul and Peter and John and others. And they faced a lot of adversity, a lot of difficulty, a lot of trial and tribulation. And yet, what did they do? They were all in when it came to the kingdom of God, weren't they? And that's the spirit we need to have today. We need to be all in. We need to be willing to do all that we can to advance the cause of Christ. And so I think about some examples of industry. And then what about the exhortations in Scripture with regard to industry? You know, the Bible talks a lot about laborers, about the need for laborers. As a matter of fact, there is a call for laborers set forth in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 9, we read of Jesus on one occasion seeing the great multitudes and the Bible says he saw the multitudes and they were wearied on this occasion. And he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. And he would say to those people in that, in that context, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. 
He said, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And then, do you know what he said? Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he might send forth laborers into his fields. Have you answered the call to serving in the kingdom of God? The Lord today needs people like us to labor in his kingdom, to be workers in his kingdom. And then there are so many passages of scripture that really, I think, emphasize this idea. For example, in the book of Titus, in Titus chapter 2 at verse 7, Paul, in writing to Titus, had left him on the island of Crete in the long ago for the purpose of setting in order things that were lacking. And then he said, you are to ordain elders in every church. One of the things that he really stressed in that very short book of three chapters was being involved in the kingdom of God. In chapter 2, verse 7, he talked about being an example of good works. In chapter 2, verse 14, he talked about those of us who belong to the family of God being zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 1, he said, we are to be ready unto every good work. Chapter 3, verse 8, he said, be careful to maintain good works. You think he's trying to emphasize something there? I think what Paul is saying to Titus is, look, we need people who are laborers in the kingdom. We need folks that are willing to work, don't we? And that's where we come in. We have the ability, the wherewithal, to be great servants in the kingdom of God. And so there is a call for laborers today. Now, there's some challenges, no doubt. The challenge is to rise above mediocrity and the things of the world to be involved. I can't help but think about passages like 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul said, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Paul here emphasizing the importance of being, again, involved in the greatest work on earth. That is the kingdom of God. And then what about Galatians chapter 6? Paul would say, Be not weary in doing good. You know, sometimes we get tired, sometimes we get, we get disappointed with, with others because of their lack of involvement. There are times when we grow discouraged, become despondent, but the bottom line is we can't afford to quit, can we? Because, because King Jesus wants us to be involved, doesn't he? And so I think about the demand for industry in the kingdom of God, but now what about the danger of idleness? I want to give you two reasons why I think idleness is a problem in the church. The first, the danger of preoccupation. What does it mean to be preoccupied? You know, sometimes we get so preoccupied with our own interest, we get so self-absorbed in our own life that we forget about other things, don't we? We forget about other responsibilities in life. Let me give you a couple of reasons why I believe preoccupation robs us sometimes of involvement in the kingdom of God and why there's a danger of idleness in the kingdom. First has to do with our passions. That is what we love. What, what do you really enjoy in life? What are, what, are, what are some things that you enjoy doing day in and day out? Do you have hobbies or interests? Are there things that you like to do every day? All of us do. I noticed we're about 50 miles from Tuscaloosa. And where I come from, 
Tuscaloosa, that's big stuff because it represents Alabama football. And I've got, I've got an elder at Olive Branch. He can tell you about anything you want to know about, about, about Alabama football. He loves it. He, he eats, drinks, sleeps. I mean, the guy is a diehard. And when it comes to SEC football or football on a national scale, most folks will tell you there's only one school, won't they? Why do you think people are willing to go to a football game and sit on a hard bench for four or five hours in rain, sleet, snow, heat, you name it. Why, why are people willing to do that? Why would you do that? I can tell you why. Because you love it, don't you? There are some folks, they're so passionate about their team. They're willing, they're willing to do whatever to be present when the game's played on Saturday, right? It's because there is this innate love for that team. So let me ask this question. Why is it sometimes that we'll make great sacrifices when it comes to our favorite football team, but when it comes to being involved in the kingdom of God, we're not interested or we're idle? Why do you think that is? You think maybe it has to do with, do you think maybe that it has something to do with our level of passion or lack thereof? Could that be a possibility? Talking to somebody last night on the telephone, they were telling me that they were saying that their husband was planning to play golf on Friday in Nashville. But based upon the weather forecast, it's going to be really hot, decided not to. But I can tell you something. There'll be a lot of folks playing golf on Friday, and they don't care if it's 100 degrees. You know why? Because they love to play golf. When we have a passion for something, usually... As one fellow said, typically we do what we want to do, don't we? So if, we, if we're in love with the Lord and his cause and his kingdom, then we're involved, aren't we? We're all in. You, you think about whether it's football or basketball or, or whatever. If, if, we're, if we are all in, then hey, we're, we're, we're willing to do whatever. But what about the kingdom of God? Jesus said that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Could I ask you tonight, how much do you love the Lord? How much, how much did he love us? You know, the Bible tells us God is love. And when I think about God being a God of love, and the fact that he spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, what does that say to me? It says to me that I ought to be willing to make some sacrifices in life. That ought, that ought to have a burning passion to support his cause and to be involved in his cause. Jesus said that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I can tell you right now, there are some people in the state of Alabama, if you want to know what's number one in their life, I can tell you what it is. It's Alabama football, isn't it? That's it. As a Christian, you know what ought to be number one in our life? It ought to be the kingdom. It ought to be the Lord. Do you remember in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 4, Paul said, when Christ, listen to what he said, when Christ, who is our life, you know what Paul was saying there? 
He's saying, my life, it's all about Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul said, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Here's what Paul was saying. You know what? If I'm alive, my life is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Could that be said of you? Could it be said of me? So one of the reasons why we are idle sometimes in the kingdom of God, sometimes we're preoccupied because of our passions. Let me give you another reason. Because of our possessions. We've got in America a real problem when it comes to materialism, don't we? And, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with materialism or rather with material things or with money. As a matter of fact, I'm grateful for material comforts in life. I'm grateful for money, aren't you? Money is just a medium of, of exchange. The problem, however, is sometimes we allow the things of this world to crowd out our service in the kingdom of God. We get so busy and so self-absorbed with our own interest and, and, and our own wants in life that, uh, quite frankly, the kingdom gets put on the back burner. Years ago, there was a guy that was a professor in a graduate school. And he was a very demanding professor. And if I called his name, you'd probably know him. At least you might know him. But he was teach teaching a class on one occasion. It was a group of preacher students. And one of the preacher students began to give some reasons as to why he did not have a paper ready when it was due. And he said, you know, I've had this going on and that going on. I had a funeral here and had this and that. And here's what, the, here's what the brother said. After all of his excuses, he said, you know, brother, he said, I guess, I guess I've just got too many irons in the fire. And the professor said, then I suggest you build a bigger fire. You know, sometimes, quite frankly, we get so involved with the world, making money and buying this and buying that, that what happens? Work of the kingdom again gets put on the back burner. We get so preoccupied. Remember in Luke chapter 12 when Jesus t told that story about the man whose barns were overflowing? You remember that? And, and so if, if you look at that context, he's talking about all the blessings and favors that he's enjoyed because of a booming Business, because economy's good. But he had a problem. He forgot God in his life. And so Jesus said to him, take heed and beware of covetousness. A man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. I think what Jesus was saying is, look, you can get so busy with the world, making money and, and buying this and buying that, and you're worried about your business here and that. Guess what? You forget about the most important thing in life. And you know what that is? It's about God. And that's what happens sometimes. So preoccupation. Let me give you another reason why sometimes we are idle in the kingdom of God. The first is preoccupation. The second is procrastination, isn't it? Jesus asked the question, the landowner, he's out trying to recruit help. And he asked why do you stand here idle all day? Well, I can tell you why sometimes people are idle in the kingdom of God. One is because they're so preoccupied with worldly pursuits. But a second is procrastination. 
And here's what we say. Don't have enough time. How many hours in a day? 24 hours. How many days in a week? Seven days in a week. Doesn't change, does it? We're all operating on the same amount of time, aren't we? Now Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. Jesus here talking about the fact that at some point in time, in the very near future, he understood death would come by way of the cross. So he only had a limited amount of time, so he had to do everything that he could within that small scope of time. We don't have a lot of time here on planet Earth, do we? And sometimes we have the idea, you know what? When I get more time in life, then I'll get more involved in the kingdom of God. Isn't that how we think sometimes? I mean, don't, don't we sometimes rationalize and say, you know what? I've got, I got work. I've got school. I've, I've, got, you know, I've got responsibilities here. I've got this going over here. I just don't have time. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 90. The psalmist said, we might live to be 70 or 80 years of age. And he said, our life is accompanied by strength, sorrow, and labor. And then he said, it's soon cut off, and what happens? We fly away. In other words, death comes, doesn't he? So in light of that fact, here's what he said. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. All he's saying is, look, you don't have a lot of time here. And if you wait too long, time, your time will be up. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16 said that we ought to redeem the time. Because the days are evil. Whatever occurred yesterday, it's in the past, isn't it? We can't retrieve the past. I mean, I, I think back to this time yesterday. That time is gone forever. I don't know how much time that I have left in, to serve the Lord. I don't, I don't know how much time you have. But I can tell you this, I want to die with my boots on. How about you? I want to go out serving the Lord, don't you? I appreciate people that, though older in life, are still willing to do whatever they can to advance the cause of Christ. I, I, I know people that are well advanced in years, and they're using their time as best they can to serve the Lord. And even though, as we grow older, we may not have the physical abilities to go like we once did, there's still things we can do. We can still send cards. We can still call people. We can text people. We can email people. There are a lot of things that we can do to continue advancing the cause of Christ as we grow older in life. Let me give you a second reason why sometimes we procrastinate. The first is because of time. The second has to do with our talents. In other words, when I have more ability, I'll get involved. You know, we can think, we can think that when we get more talent, we'll get more involved. But the truth of the matter is sometimes we never get more involved. And there's something for everyone to do, isn't there? Whether you're a babe in Christ or whether you've been in the church for many, many years, there's something to do. And, and sometimes we think, well, you know what? I don't know enough to share the gospel with somebody. Well, do you know enough to share with them what you did? You don't have to know a lot. Matter of fact, there are so many helps available, you don't really have, you don't have to know a lot. I mean, you can take a track to somebody. 
You can give somebody a CD, a DVD. You can point people to GBN or some other work and let someone watch the gospel in the luxury of their own home. I mean, there are, a lot, there are, lots, there are lots of opportunities to share the gospel. Sometimes maybe we don't have all of the talent or all of the ability that we would like to have at a given moment. But you know what we can do? We can work toward that, can't we? And I think about the Apostle Paul. Paul had a fellow by the name of Timothy, didn't he? Timothy had the opportunity to learn from a great teacher and preacher, didn't he? To me, Paul was a mentor to Timothy. Moses, that great servant of God, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 1 that the Bible says that Joshua was Moses' assistant. He had the opportunity to learn under Moses. And you think about what a great leader Joshua became. And then I think about Caleb. Joshua and Caleb formed a great team together. Well, don't you think they were learning along the way? And so there are great opportunities for service for us. Sometimes we, as, as we like to say, shoot ourselves in the foot, don't we? The danger of idleness is real. And the reasons, number one, preoccupation. Number two, procrastination. And too often we say, when I, when I, when I can, I'll get around to it. The problem is we don't ever get around to it, do we? So, so to just say, you know what? I am not going to be defeated by the devil and by the world. I'm not going to allow, I'm not going to allow myself to be preoccupied. I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm just going to jump in and do my dead level best every day. Now, let me just talk very quickly. How much time do we have left? No? A couple of minutes? Okay. Very quickly. The delight of involvement in the kingdom of God. I want to just stress two things very quickly. Number one, That answered my own question. Okay. Number one, I want to encourage us to rejoice in serving the Lord. I mean, you, you think about this for a minute. I had the opportunity to teach some preacher students in Jamaica last month. And I was talking about the blessings of, of, of being a servant of God, of being a preacher, a teacher. I said, listen, there is not a greater work on earth. And you think about it as a child of God. You are a servant of the Most High King, King Jesus. You have the opportunity to be involved in the greatest work. There, there is not a work on earth comparable to the work of the kingdom of heaven. Do you believe that? I believe it. And so I want to encourage us, rejoice in serving the Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 100 verse 2 said, serve the Lord with gladness. Paul said in Philippians chapter, Philippians chapter 4, he said, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. And when we come to understand something about the love of the Lord and the love that he has for us, it serves as a catalyst to us. When Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, you know what he talked about? He talked about how they were involved in a labor of love. When you love to do something, it's not work. Look, I, I really believe I got the greatest job on earth. I get to preach and teach for a living. And I don't dread Monday morning. And when Friday comes, you know what? I'm not, I, I mean, I'm glad to see Friday come, but, you know, some people live for Friday. 
And then when Sunday night comes, what are they doing? They dread, dread Sunday night because they know Monday morning's coming. Got to get back to work. Look, I love being a preacher. I love being involved in the kingdom of God. It ought to be a labor of love, shouldn't it? Very quickly, I know our time's gone. Let me share with you five things we can do. Roles in serving the Lord. Let me tell you five things that all of us can do. Number one, teach one. You can teach somebody. The, word of, the words of Jesus are still true. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You can teach one and you can reach one. Do you know somebody who's unfaithful? Is there anybody in this community that you know of, not faithful today, that maybe you and you alone could reach with, with, with the gospel? There are many people where I live who are unfaithful. Probably could fill up several church buildings. We still have the responsibility of teaching those who have never heard the gospel and reaching out to those who have known the gospel, embraced it, but are unfaithful today. Galatians 6.1 Teach one, reach one, serve one. Serve one. In Matthew 25, when Jesus talked about that great and final day, you remember what he said? I was hungry, and what did you do? You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was, I was a stranger, you took me in. I was sick and in prison, and you visited me. And then pray for one. There's a man by the name of Epaphras in Colossians chapter 4. And Paul, in writing to the saints there, said that this brother labored fervently for them in prayer. You know, there, there, are, there are a lot of things maybe we don't have the ability to do, but we can all go before the throne of God on, beh on behalf of other people, can't we? If, you're sh if you are sick or shut in, you can still pray for other people, can't you? And then, finally, encourage one. Encourage somebody. There are folks that need encouragement in the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, he said, we ought to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. He would say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear you one another's, one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We can be burden bearers. So encourage one. Thank you so much.